Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. We're coming to you today from the Financial Brand Forum, the largest retail banking event in the industry. The banking industry is facing an onslaught of competitive pressures from revenues and profit margins to market share and adoption rates. Banking executives have been forced to reevaluate long-held assumptions as they completely rethink acquisition and growth strategies. What is needed to attract, engage, and expand relationships? How can banks and credit unions rethink their current operating model from the inside out to become future ready? My guest on the Banking Transform podcast is Jeffrey Kendalls, CEO and founder of Nimbus. Jeffrey discusses strategies financial institutions should consider as we enter a new age of banking. So Jeffrey, good to see you again. It's good to see you. It's been a little while. It's like two and a half, three years, pre-pandemic. Pre, oh, definitely pre-pandemic, yes. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting too, because you've changed companies. A lot of things have changed. You've changed companies since we last met. I'm doing a podcast that I wasn't doing the last time we met, but we did do interviews. That's right. So we did, we did video. So um, first of all, for people who are not familiar with you, can you tell, me, tell us a little bit about your career path and a little bit about what Nimbus does? Yeah, so I'm a career technologist. I started out right out of college, focused on programming and development. But what was a little bit of different, uh, different about my path is I was also heavily involved in advertising, branding, and marketing. And so I had this unique opportunity to have technology and brand strategy from the very early stages of my career. And that's kind of kept with me as, if, as I've, I've grown over the past 20 years. And now I'm really excited because I have the opportunity to lead a company that's right at the forefront of making sure that technology, branding, and strategy are all tied together versus independent silos. And so we're having a lot of fun in what we're doing and our unique sort of point of view in the market. Well, it's interesting because yesterday somebody came up to me and said, you know, it's not about technology and branding as in separate silos. He goes, now more than ever, they got to feed off of each other. The branding has to be driven by some of the technology and the data analytics. But in much the same way as you can't have technology without having the branding and the, and the experiences that are out there. So how do you and how does your firm stay ahead of what's happening in the marketplace? Because really what you're trying to do is not really just respond to what the marketplace is as in banks and credit unions. You're really trying to respond to what the consumers are expecting and delivering that to the banks and credit unions. So how do you stay ahead of what's going on? Yeah, I think the first thing is we're always looking for opportunities for growth. This is the thing that is never has never changes in banking. How you grow, what you're interested in growing, those things all change. 12 months ago, nobody really cared about deposits. They were cheap. So the right. flavor of the day was, how do we yeah. loan? Yeah. That's all changed now. The you know, macroeconomic conditions have now presented us with interest rates that are more interesting. And so now low cost of funds is the topic du jour today. So you can never really keep ahead of the curve unless you're actually looking for the, if I'm looking for growth, I'm gonna always be looking sort of forward. And that's, that's our perspective on it. Um, but what's challenging in banking is we're selling pretty commoditized products, yeah. right? I mean, there's only so many ways you can do another deposit product or another loan without really truly innovating. The real innovation opportunity in banking is how you go to market and how you present those offers out into the communities which might be underserved. And you know, how do you position a product to fit, to actually solve a problem for someone specifically? That's sort of our our point of view and why we focus on 
niche segmentation. You'll hear us talk all the time about niche is the new local because we think that banking has evolved beyond community meaning geography and now community meaning a deeper sense of purpose and where you can serve those customers. So you did a presentation today. It was really interesting because one of the things you brought out was that, you know, there's like four major go-to-market strategies, I think you mentioned. And can you describe a little bit about what those were and, and why organizations have to determine how they're going to be going to market going forward? Yeah, I mean, you can really, you can only grow in so many ways, right? right. You can grow your top line revenue, which means that you have to sell more products or have more people to sell right. it to. Or you can grow through margin expansion, and that means controlling your cost and cutting. It's just business 101. But where we look for opportunities is to say, where are the big banks going? And if you think about just providing a, a competitive advantage to credit unions, community banks, and regional banks, the big banks are going very generic. They're, the reason they're winning is over scale. It's not over brand and offer. It's just the fact that they just are, they're coverage everywhere. is everywhere. So if you're a community bank and you're looking at how do I actually go compete against this, you have to go deeper into the specialized areas than those generic offers are happening. And so that for us is like one of the major sort of opportunities in go to market. Now that we're in a digital age, you don't have to be tied to a branch strategy only. You can have branch plus a national footprint, for example. And those are the things that we think are the sort of big rock opportunities that people have for growing and creating those new strategies. So it's about creating a product fit, finding a market that is underserved and going after those uh, you know, in full force. You know, one thing we discussed before we went on the air was the fact that organizations also have to understand what business they're in and how they deliver that's different from their perspective than the organization down the street. And you just talked about the fact that, you know, they got to figure out their niche strategy, all these things, but they've got to stay within their brand, don't they? Mm -hmm. They absolutely do. And even if you are sort of look at a market opportunity that maybe your brand doesn't fit today, that needs to be part of your thinking about how do I evolve our brand to make sure that our customers sort of expect the product that I want to offer to them and they believe that I'm the right person or the right brand to present it to them. So a good example of this, we see it all the time, is um, over 44% of the banks, of the 5,000 banks in this country have the word national first. Uh, I can't remember the other one, but it's, you know, old, I think yeah. is the other one, or trust. And what happens is you sort of look at these brands that say, hey, we're looking at digital transformation. We need to be more digital forward with our consumers. But there's dissonance between a company that's named First Old National Trust Bank of wherever, and oh, we're also providing crypto services. If you're a consumer, you're looking at that going, well, wait a minute, why am I getting modern sort of technology services from this you know, bedrock sort of legacy bank? It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And the best brands in the world that aren't banks, they sort of know this and know how to do this. Nike is a great example yeah. of this, right? A shoe company. Their value proposition is around enabling athletes and innovating in that area. But we also now are starting to use technology from Nike, right? We have Apple Watch apps. We have things that are now digital, but they're tied to a shoe company. But that didn't happen overnight. Right. Nike had to participate in the market and evolve their brand before consumers would trust to get digital solutions from them. That's where banks are sort of missing the opportunity at some points now. Well, your, your crypto example is a good one that, yeah, there's going to be customers to ask for it. Mm -hmm. And people are thinking, we've got to do this because everybody's doing it. But your, your first national bank and trust out of uh, 
Duluth is not necessarily, that's not their positioning most mm-hmm. likely. And it was interesting because this weekend I was in the middle of Georgia and truly in the middle of Georgia, nowhere near any regular city and what I would call regular city. And I went to the branch to get some money for a wedding we were going to. And the branch had cars from the auto teller around the back of the branch, around the front of the branch, completely across the parking lot, down the driveway, out to the street, five cars on one street and four cars on an access road to get to that street. And I'm going, am I showing up at a branch or a Chick-fil-A? Because it, <laughs> it, was, it was insane. But what was interesting too is nobody was in the ATM line. So these people want the human interaction. And then I said, well, I'll go inside. Well, I had to stand outside to start the process of going inside. I thought I was taking back 40 years when I used to work in a branch before direct deposit. I finally got to a teller, I said, what's going on here? This is, un- I've never seen this before. I said, does it always come out like this? She goes, well, it's right after a holiday. It was Veterans Day. And she goes, but it happens often. And I said, why? She goes, people get checks here. They don't direct deposit them. They work with cash. And th- it's not like they don't trust banking, but they want to do it their way. I think we all, that, that was a big aha moment for me because I talk about advancement in digital and all this to realize that we really have to think about who our customers are. Being the best digital bank is probably not the best way to invest there compared to maybe they need two or three more tellers in the line. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because when you start to understand who you are, that's really the first question. You know, we, you know who are we? Mm-hmm. Not who do we want to become? And then how do I prioritize to be better at that? And you talked about the fact that maybe it's going to be multiple channels. So we talk a lot about back office transformation to make the front office work. What's your feeling around having to focus on back office and and more importantly, what part of back office should most financial institutions, because just in the same way you say you have to target, there can be listeners to this that say, nah, I've been there, done that, you know. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, in financial institutions you visit, what's the area of back office transformation that financial institutions really should focus on in 2023? Well, you know, when I think of back office, and this is probably just, you know, because of the, the, the wares that we sell, if you will, but core, core processing, right, is sort of the, the meat of back office. There are lots of other back office tools, but if I just pick on core, well, one of the things is over time is nobody wants to buy a new core platform. No, not at all. <laughs> and, nope. and I run a core software platform, yeah. which is, you know, it's, it sounds, sounds odd, but the fact is, is that it is massively complex software and history has taught us that doing core conversions are challenging and painful and so the market sort of just generally accepts hey let's try to do everything we can to transform but let's not let's not change the core and it's because people think that it could be career limiting or maybe they don't see the value in it and so there's really kind of two things though that people miss and and this is I've been on both sides of this, right? Prior to this, I was with Kony. We were on a front-end digital banking platform, and our value proposition was unlock digital stuff without having to change the core. But I can tell you, we did run into a lot of challenges when you want to develop new solutions if you don't have a modern core. And some of that could be just because modern cores are event-driven, and so getting real-time notifications out of a modern core, super simple, it's designed to do that. A legacy core, you got to work at it. You got to build a lot of r- route arounds to get it. Well, when you have to build a lot of route arounds to to get the value out of the core, that expense grows. And so you see people who are spending millions and millions of dollars 
just to get around the core. Eventually, you got to have technical debt always comes calling and needs to be paid. Right. And so, you know, you're going to have to do a core conversion eventually. What we've tried to do is sort of de-risk it and say, look, it's not about a big bang approach. It's something that you can do other things with a modern core and more of a side by side, not necessarily have to convert your full core. And people are starting to understand that that gives an advantage because it makes digital front end easier. Yes. Part of the challenge is you hear this all the time is I've got an independent digital banking front end and I've got the core on the back end. They don't want to play well together. They don't talk to each other. I got to pay this person $300,000 for access to an API and the nightmares go on and on. And so that's where I think you do need to at least plan for a back office transformation as well as a front office transformation yeah. if you're going to really get where you want to go. You, you can't ignore it forever. Well, and the good news is, you know, those who waited are benefiting from the fact you mentioned it, that you can build this in components mm -hmm. that can work together, which means you don't have to take over the whole, you don't have to change everything. But when you meet with financial institutions and you're trying to have them invest in something like you just mentioned, they already have, I'm going to say, one of the, one of the four, five, pick your number, major core, core back offices. Mm -hmm. How do you convince or how do you work with a financial institution to get them over the hump of saying, am I having to double invest for what I should get from my legacy core provider? How do you get them to understand the value of, you know, this is not something you can do overnight. And you need to pick a specialist, but more importantly, it is going to take some double investment. Mm -hmm. I think you know where we've tried to major is the market. The market is always cyclical in all things, right? So you see technology. It used to all be about we want prepackaged stuff off the shelf, but then people felt like the cores were falling behind in their digital solutions on the front end. So they said, well, if they're not going to do it, we better build it ourselves or go find other partners to stitch on top of it. And so then it turned more into, we will take control of our own destiny. It doesn't have to be off the shelf. If we're going to do it, we got to build it custom. Well, now people are feeling the effects of having gone down that path because it's expensive and hard, right? And access to talent and all sorts of things make that a challenge. Now you're seeing people come back to, okay, maybe I don't need to be a development shop as a bank. Maybe I need some things that are more prepackaged now. Yep. And yes, I might not get the handmade Ferrari that I want with everything exactly where I spec it, but it's going to be a great car for me to drive and sports car for me to go take to the take to the track. Um, that's where people are sort of seeing the opportunity now with something like Nimbus is saying like, is there something that's modern that's prepackaged where we don't have to do a lot to it, but we can still drive growth and value yeah. of it? And that's it. That's what people want right now. It's what bank they CEOs want. Some want. customization, but they they want the the core to be tested multiple institutions. I mean, that, that's really, as we're at the financial brand forum, it's amazing all the, the participants, the third-party solution providers that are at the show, but they've all figured out that they can't just say, here's your plug and play, buy it as we sell it. That's right. We aren't going to take, we, they also know they can't, it's real hard right now to sell the entire package. You got to be able to make it component-based. And thirdly, you have to have the flexibility to say it's going to look like me. Now, you mentioned the fact, you know, we, we always in our minds think, well, the big banks can build it themselves. They have a lot of people. The reality is Chase built a brand new digital banking platform in the UK, not by themselves. In fact, they didn't build it at all. They found a third party provider that said we can deliver it on time, on scale. It's going to be customizable. 
and they, they're doing it in a way that, that has been tested already. So you, you have those benefits. You know, when you're out there also working with financial institutions, how important as far as what you're presenting to them as opposed to maybe what they're buying is speed and scalability right now? Speed and scalability is everything in the conversations that we're in um, because the market dynamics are actually changing so fast that people are understanding that they have to adapt even more quickly than say three years ago, right? We all got put through the ringer in terms of, you know, sort of having to pivot and adjust during the pandemic. So I think we started working some of those muscles. Now you see, you know, interest rate environment has completely changed almost overnight. People are having to pivot again. They're having to focus on different solutions. So um, being able to do that quickly and nimbly and not say like, well, yeah, that's on the roadmap for three years is really, you know, powerful when you're in that position. So, well, it's interesting because that's where bankers really have to get out of their their legacy thinking because, you know, a lot of bankers, you say, when are you going to do this? We're, we, we decide we're going to make it a, a 2023 initiative, which puts it December 31st. Mm-hmm. I keep on telling people, you got to be looking at much shorter timeframes. And it, even if it means incremental implementation, but you got to be looking at March. You got to be looking at February. You got to be looking maybe at the end of January because I, the story has been told many times, but I went to uh, Shenzhen, China at the uh, beginning of 2020 and visited WeBank. And there was nothing more impactful than them saying that they go from ideation to implementation in 14 days or less, which is insane because you think of most banks, including the big guys, will talk about some major thing they're going through that's going to take about 18 months. You go, okay, so what guarantees that the stuff you start on the beginning isn't outdated by the time you get to that 18 month Mm -hmm. finish line? There's no finish line. Um, when you're working with financial institutions, and I know this is a challenge a lot for third-party providers, you have things you're selling them that you know how they're going to perform. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those institutions that go, I bought you because I love your vision, I love everything you do, I love the way you're going to implement, but one thing, I want you to make sure you don't say that I have to do it this way because we do things this way. And you're in your mind saying, that's the one item that makes what we do right. Yeah. I mean, we see this in new account openings where I know some new account opening uh, companies out there that say, you know, they come in, they're ready to go. And they say, by the way, we want to make sure we still do the driver's license beginning. You go, that added five minutes just by those words. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, so I can't deliver what I said I was going to deliver because you, you're, you're jimmying it up based on your own legacy process. How do you deal with that as a, a provider? Because I think it's important for bankers to understand how they have to change their thinking as well. I think it's all about the relationship you establish with your customer and client very much at the at upfront and at the beginning. Um, you know, first off, not every client is right for every every vendor. I mean, right. there have been times where I've just, you know, we've worked with folks and said, look, you know, you want to stay the same and we're about helping you transform. You know, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. And so I think finding a vendor that's willing to say, like, you might not be the right fit. Can, can be helpful. Uh, well, it's interesting you should say that because in sales, they sometimes say, saying, you know what, thank you, but no thank you, is sometimes the best answer. Because we, want, we all want to sell. We all want to move to the next level. But sometimes being able to say, you know what, it might be best for us to go our separate paths because we see a different vision. We may not see the, we have a, see a different way of getting to the place we want to go. Yeah. You know, when, when I've had to have those hard conversations before and you know, uh, they've always turned out positive. Yeah. If you go back yeah. and you just say, look, I understand what you're asking for, but I just am not going to be able to make you successful. Yeah. They trust you. Or, you know, you say, well, what would it take to be successful? And then you can have a sort of disarmed conversation yeah. about maybe you need to transform. But 
I also believe that the vendors make a mistake if they go in saying this is how it has to be because nobody knows everything. Right. I'm always afraid of missing the opportunity of maybe we're not seeing it right. Maybe the customer is, you know, knows better than us. And so you have to balance being considerate and understanding versus driving to what you know based on your experience because that's what they're paying you for, right? Yeah. They're not paying you because you're you're new to the game. They're paying yep. you because you've done it a few times. And so I think that you have to, you just have to carefully balance that. It's when it takes you off your focus that you really need to pay attention as a, as a CEO of a, yeah. a vendor type company, you can't be distracted from your mission. Yeah. And that's where people get into trouble. I worked for a company once and my boss said, you can't put spoiled milk in the refrigerator and expect to get good again. <laughs> that's and true. that's a really important thing to take in mind because if it starts off ugly, it doesn't get better with time. Oh, and, no. and, and, and that's not, and that, oh, by the way, that's on either side of the equation. If you've picked a vendor and you go, oh my God, this wasn't what we thought, or I missed the mark on what they were looking for, or the other way around, a financial institution says, you know, or you say about a financial institution, this is going to be an extraordinarily painful process. Nobody has that kind of resources around to be able to take those on, even in the best or worst of times. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transformed. So I'm joined today by Jeffrey Kendall, CEO and founder of Nimbus. We've been discussing how financial institutions must evolve their digital banking strategies and their business options as we look forward to 2023 and beyond. So Jeffrey, how should banks leverage data and analytics to make digital happen going forward? Yeah, it's a really interesting challenge that banks are in because I sort of give it the, it's so close, but so far. Yeah, They have the most powerful data in the world. When you think about what a bank has in terms of ledgering all the transactions of our daily lives, what they essentially have is a blueprint of everything that we do every single day. Right. They know that I went to Safeway. They know that I went to have sushi at this restaurant. They know that I'm a gamer. They know that I'm a, a shoe collector. They know all sorts of things about me that nobody else in the world right. does. It's all trapped in that in that big box they call the core. But the challenge is, is that sometimes it's really difficult to get access to the data. So you have one big problem, which is just, can I get it out and manipulate it and understand it? And the second thing is, they don't always know the right questions to ask, right? What can I do with this data and really start on those pieces? And so um, what we see, this will clue you in as to why it's so important. One of the things that we see in niche banking is a lot of consumer brands like Home Depot, Walgreens, Walmart, who are getting into financial services. And every single time we talk to a brand leader at one of these, uh, you know, sort of retailers or consumer driven brands, I always ask like, okay, you're interested in getting into providing embedded financial services or banking services. And they say, yep, yep, we're interested. Well, you know, there's not a lot of money on interchange and things. Yeah. Yep, yep, we understand that. Uh, 
So you still want to go for it. Yeah, it's very valuable. Why? The data. <laughs> That's yeah. the first thing they oh, go yeah. to is yeah. I want to know where these people are spending money. What are they doing? How are they, you know, how can I add products and services that right. integrate into their lives? And, and that is where they get it. And so, you know, I always tell banks and credit unions, I'm like, you need to pay attention to the fact that there's other people in the world that think you're sitting on the most valuable resource in the in the industry yeah. and leverage it. Right, and how do you partner to get those things out? So it's super critical, important, but it's also very hard to do. It, it's interesting, you know. We most banks and, and credit unions are going to say, if you want to come to them and say, we want to do this, this, and this, we're going to use data. They're going to say, in most cases, uh, wait for a while. We're, we're working on, we're trying to get our data in better shape. Does Nimbus and do most other third-party providers now do a really decent job of taking data, even in its worst condition, not not bad data, but in its siloed format and condition it for what they need to deliver? Yeah, I think so. I think that's part of the, the promise of a modern core is it's not necessarily that the data models themselves are so vastly different, although that can be one of the, one of the advantages. Um, it's really about it's API access and getting at the data and really being able to quickly pull parts of it out versus saying, hey, I need to do a mass extract. It's going to take literally 24 hours to run a job on my core to get all that data out. I think real-time feeds and things like that is the elements of the data aren't the issue. It's how fast can I get them to do something with it in real time. Yep. That's where a modern core can really you know, give someone an advantage of saying, I know today that Jeffrey went to Starbucks. Not, oh yeah, I see over time that Jeffrey's gone to Starbucks 12 yep. times over the past 12 months. It's more interesting if I can get the data right then and do something with it. So do something with it. Yeah. I mean, that that is what's interesting is most financial institutions are trying to work on sometimes AI or machine learning, but many times just segmentation and niche banking. But they get the information and it stays in reports. I mean, I, I say many times, I, I my personal bank is Wells Fargo. I, I I know that if I went in, I'd be almost frightened to the degree of saying, oh my God, they know all of this. But the rubber hits the road as to how does Wells Fargo show me they know me? Mm -hmm. And almost every financial institution does a terrible job of doing that. And yet you have some fintechs, I'll pick Acorns, they continually communicating with me about how I can make more use of their service, but in a way that helps me, not something that I think is, is a sales pitch. How do you see in the whole concept of niche banking, modern core, all these different things, how do you see the importance of really talking on a, I'm going to call it personalized, but it's more than that, on a personalized level to drive engagement as mm -hmm. opposed to just experiences. Yeah, so I think that people get confused about what engagement and, you know, sort of personalization can mean. I think 10 years ago, if you had asked what personalization is, it was, you know, does my app say good morning, Jeffrey? Like yes, that it yeah. somehow knows context about yep. me, where I am, what I'm doing. I think personalization is sort of shifting and it's really more about understanding the problems that the person has. Not individual as Jim and Jeffrey, but what are Jim and Jeffrey sort of categorically doing and how do I address a sort of problem in their community? And so I'll give you a great example. Um, one of the niche communities that I think is one of them, it's my favorite to talk about is truck drivers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Truck drivers are, you know, the backbone of this country. They supply us with all of our, you know, different needs and foods and products and services. And yet they all, when you focus down on the business of truck driving, 
there's some really interesting financial challenges that most banks ignore. Cash flow is a major issue for truck drivers, right? I go, I drop off a delivery, 90 days later, I might get paid on the invoice, but I gotta manage that. If I'm an independent contractor, that's a long time to wait for my money. And so, you know, a couple of banks in the country have sort of figured that out, yeah. Tab and Triumph and some yeah. of those folks. And they've created massive multi-million dollar revenue streams off of, we're gonna go give these truck drivers a way to get paid earlier through invoice factoring. They solved a problem for this particular community. Doesn't apply to everybody else, but it applies to your type of business. And I think that's the type of personalization where banks have the biggest opportunity. It's not, I know exactly what Jeffrey needs. That's really hard to know right. because we're complex yeah. people. But if at least if we can get it down to the categories, I think that's where the opportunity is. You know, Tab is an interesting example because I've, I've been trying to get them on the podcast because I think it, if people can squint a little bit, they can see that, well, maybe bank is, you know, banking for truck drivers is not my thing, but there's millions of segments out there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one thing that's been interesting where open banking really succeeded is a couple of institutions um, overseas that have built youth, what I'm gonna call youth platforms. And it's a banking service, but really they've made partners with gaming companies, with technology companies, with social media companies, with all these different companies that are actually financing the platform to draw all these under 25 year old kids into the banking platform without pushing banking on them. What's interesting about that is it changed the revenue model. Mm -hmm. So Tab Bank and others at Key Bank with doctors, they can get then, if you get a good segment here, you have people that want to, as you mentioned earlier, tap into that segment. It changes your revenue model. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about interchange. You don't have to worry about fees. You're getting your revenue from outside the banking environment. And again, it gets back to the modern core that you can't do that in traditional ways because we don't even have categories for that. So from your company's perspective, how important do you see content becoming from the perspective where it's not a product, not a service, but it's a flow of marketing information or, or solutions that are outside of what would be traditionally thought of as being banking? Yeah, I think it's huge. It's everything. And there's such a big opportunity if the content is delivered in the sense of helping customers understand that you understand them. Yeah. That's really the power. It's, it's hard to educate experts in their field yeah. or in their business, but if you can start talking the talk and walking the walk, then it makes your brand more well-positioned to serve that company. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, one of the niche banks that we're building out right now with a partner, Connect One Bank, is a bank for VC-backed tech companies. Well, you can imagine, I was sitting down one, one day with the CEO of Connect One and I said, I'm a software as a service company and I went to my bank to try to get a loan to finance a software purchase that I had to make. And they told me, sorry, Jeffrey, we don't finance intangible software. I said, but your brand as a bank is all around software companies. What do you mean you don't, you don't do that? And the deeper I dug with them, I was like, you really don't understand software businesses at all. Like you don't understand the challenges the I'm going through. Exactly, and then I was like right in the middle of the niche, which was kind of fun. And so I, you know, working with Frank at Connect One, we said, look, let's build a bank that really understands VC-backed software right. companies. Yeah. And his attitude was so perfect for it because it was, I just want to fix problems for people. 
And if I look and narrow down who I'm working with, I can understand their problems. I can talk like them. I can start to really dig in and hold hands with them in the business. Content specialists. Yeah. Exactly. But that's exactly it. He, now they're going to have they're, they're investing and in saying we're going to build up that part of our brand and our our sort of capability. We're going to speak the language and provide content so that people know we're a good home for them. That is where banking can really, really advance right now. The products are all the same again. It's just narrowly focusing on it so you can solve this particular group's problem. Well, it's interesting. I, 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 this story came out of probably five years ago, Denton Bank out of Turkey. They built a, a farm-based product set that worked with farmers and, and built digital solutions because most people don't realize farmers are extraordinarily digital. Mm-hmm. Everything they do has to do with how to farm the fields and all kinds of information. But they have a lot of solution providers. They got the people that are climatologists that can tell them what's going to happen in the climate for the next 12 months. They got seed people. They have equipment, the huge equipment people. They have people that can tell you what should you do, what ingredients or what uh, fertilizers you need for the ground. Well, this bank said, we got to bring all these together. And especially during COVID, where they can interchange, we can bring all these to the table in one call and deal with this, the farmer's real problems, mm-hmm. which banking takes care of it. But banking is not the problem they have. They need to, they need to grow crops. But it's serious. You know, when you're looking one to three years down the road, and let's get into the future a little bit here. What do you see as being the biggest change that you see going forward in banking? And what, what trend do you see as being standing out among all others? Yeah, I think that we'll, we'll see things move away from just purely institutional type products to be expanded out through embedded finance you know, into other aspects and integrated into other experiences in our life. I think we've been seeing that coming for mm-hmm. 20 years. You know, there's been elements of it or hints of it, but I think that prime time is now because people have kind of figured out the the wiring and the piping to make that happen. Um, I don't think there's good, I think buy now, pay later is gonna kind of see its reckoning. You're already, you know, in terms of the fraud and- It's gonna be done differently. I it think is. The, the solution's still strong. It was, probably done wrong. It, it, it It's done great for the environment we were in six months ago, 12 months ago. But the reality is the solution's a strong one. That's as, right. As our savings products, which we haven't addressed in decades, you know, but, but it's about what's going to withstand the test of time, whatever could happen. Yeah. yeah. And when, when credit's free and cheap, it's easy to offer and sell, right? Yeah. But then yeah, when it's exactly. high, now people are finding like, yeah. oh, it's actually slowing down. It's really changing. And you got a lot of fraud and charge-offs going on it. So that's where I think embedded finance, though, in terms of con- in context of other businesses, that's what I think you know people are going to be focused on. We're working with Synovus and their new Mast brand on exactly that. It's how do we go embed banking services into the middle of tech companies, and I think they've got a, a brilliant strategy around that. So let's take that kind of an example. How do you then implement that at speed when most financial institutions are not used to? But it's going to be a massive change of direction, but with a big implementation. How do you, how do you keep that speed going, both on the client side, but also on your side? You know, it's it, first off, you have to have the right tools. So that's kind of uh, maybe basic and fundamental. Yeah, but yeah. if you've ever done a DIY project and you sort of figured out, like, I've got the wrong kind of wrench, it's a nightmare and frustrating. But then you get the right tool and you're like, well, that was super easy as long as you had the right tool. I think one of it is you got to have modern stuff to be working yep. with. Yep. If you, you know, one of the things that slows people down is when they try to get into an integration project. 
that says, well, we've got to integrate into all our old legacy stuff. Well, maybe that's true, but if you didn't, could you get there 10 times faster and could you still start extracting value out of it? Yeah. But there's, it's so funny whenever we talk to customers, like, well, how does this integrate into my core? And you're like, it doesn't. You don't need to integrate into your core. You know, you might share some sort of raw, sort of general ledger type data back to the core, but actually, if you try to integrate it into your other stuff, that's what's going to slow you down and make it really expensive. Yeah, be okay it, with it being on its own. It, it's also interesting too because we've interviewed Liz Wolverton from Sonovus, and one of the things that we all kind of forget sometimes is it takes leadership. It's got to take the very, very top of the organization and every layer down to say, "We agree that." speed is important. We agree that we're going to focus on this and get it implemented and nothing's going to stand in our way. What's tough sometimes, is you, and as you see it sometimes, is you implement and you've implemented to the middle layer and somewhere during the process you're realizing, we hear it, that's just complete buy-in, but we're not getting action that plays against mm -hmm. that. So it's, again, I, I talk about it quite a bit on the podcast, the people that are listening that, you know, at the end of the day, Leadership's going to guide whether or not this thing's going to be successful in many cases. A hundred percent. And, you know, one of the things when I first got into selling to banks and credit unions that was a huge mistake is I focused on the size of the institution. Yeah. Every vendor in the world talks about like, well, what asset size do you serve? Is it 250 million, 500 million, you know, whatever. And it was only a couple of years ago that I figured out like that doesn't really matter. Yep. It doesn't matter what size the institution is. The mentality and the mindset of the institution is what you really want to look for. Oh, yeah. I can go sell to any size of bank, and if they're just not ready to transform or they don't believe they need to, then bad customer for me. Flip side is I can work with a tiny 100 million asset de novo, but they have ambition to grow. And I can get implemented in a very quick amount of That's time. That's right much sooner than I would have done yeah, the big guy. I'd that, love that to hang gonna, out yeah. with those people. Yeah. I don't yeah. need to always have, you know, multi-billion dollar banks as customers. I want the people who are ready to make a difference because that's where we can succeed together. You know, it's funny. We, we talked about this a few years ago and we met before that, you know, putting that square peg in the round hole, we keep on thinking it's going to happen. We have that beautiful vision. And I talked to, I now am doing as many presentations to organizations that sell to the banks. I am banks going, guys, you got to focus on who you're selling mm -hmm. to because while you may get all kinds of rewards talking about the big sale and the big company, the reality is find people that are ready to buy because mm -hmm. if you're having to sell, you're doing something wrong. So you're visiting a lot of financial institutions. You're visiting a lot of the financial brand forum. Inside or outside of what Nimbus does, what is the one priority financial institutions, most financial institutions that you meet, have to address now in order to be successful from 2023 and beyond? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just getting their strategy set. I think one of the things that I continually find out is that people are confused because what they thought they were going to invest in 12 months ago, they're less convinced that they're going to invest in it now. And, you know, crypto is a good example of that. Banking as a service is a good example of this. When the industry was sort of, you know, that was the darling topic or the shiny object, you know, people started making real moves and now they're, they're having to pull back. And I think that getting that strategy set and saying, what are we going to build over the next three years is the most important thing. It's not going to be the same answer for every bank, right? Right. right. The whole point yeah. is, what's your strategy? And now you're going to focus on what you actually need to enable and build to do that. Um, but I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, everybody still has to become a digital athlete. If you think that you can just do one digital project every five to 10 years 
and go through a conversion of your digital banking front end and that's going to be good enough for you to survive in the future you might want to relook at that i think it's it's not enough practice you need to be doing these smaller digital initiatives so that when you need to do big transformation writ large you sort of have the basics and the understanding how to do it. Well, actually, right now, especially with the economic being quite economy being very much uncertain, it's better to focus on those things that are aligned with your brand is, as mm -hmm. you said at the very beginning of this podcast. That's the low hanging fruit, and we use that term quite a bit. But the reality is, if it can pay for itself, you're going to get funding even during bad times, and get modern. That's right. At the end of the day, you've got to modernize the back office. Yeah, and I think that people, you know, when it comes to finding new routes to market, you know, you, you talked about uh, lifetime value of a customer. Yes. Obviously very, very important, but lifetime value always has to be in context of cost of acquisition. Right. Because lifetime value, if it's a penny yep. and it's nothing, it could right. be great, but that's not how it is. And so I think where banks have it, they have to figure out sort of how to go forward. And this is for every bank, regardless of what your segment is, is focus on that cost of acquisition and how do you make sure that what you're doing is if you can't change the pricing on the commodity then the ltv is hard to move so now you got to focus on the cac yep. that's where you got to move that's one reason we love this concept of niche banking because it's like fishing from a barrel yeah right you've got a focused community you know exactly what's in there you know how to go get it it's easier cheaper and faster to acquire customers you when you know them right it makes it so that you're actually going to keep the customer and they're going to rebuy from you. Because right. what we're seeing right now is, you know, I, I bring it up in all my presentations. How many of you opened a, closed a major financial relationship in the last five years? Firstly, nobody raised their hand. How many of you opened a new one in the last two years? Everybody raised their hands. You go, so in other words, while you've kept your accounts, you're losing all the additional business that's going elsewhere now. The only way to address that is to take care of the experiences and the engagement of that small niche group that you have that really says, if I can get this right, I'm not gonna lose those people. They're not gonna look elsewhere. That's right. Because I'm gonna be addressing their specific needs. Jeffrey, as always, thank you so much for being on the show and for some conversation we haven't had for a long time. I love it. Always yeah. good to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Hassage, audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Dave Douglas, and video producer Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, remember, if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll probably get worse results than you've had in the past. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.